I wanted to give a little spiel before we dig into the lesson. One of the things about being a preacher at the same place for a while is some of the members get to familiar with my stuff, right? I have certain things that I talk about a lot. I have certain things that I, I harp on. Every preacher does. Every preacher has certain things that they say regularly. One of the things that, if you're new, though, is I can get into a problem of I've, I've laid this groundwork over being here for nine years or whatever it is, and I forget that there's new people who haven't heard the stuff before. Uh, today, this is going to come up. One of the things that I try to do as a preacher is to not use the transliterations in the Bible. Transliterations are when they take the original words and instead of translating the meaning of the word, they take the English letters that make the same sounds and just make a whole new word. Baptism is one of those words. We're going to talk about baptism today. I try really hard not to use the word baptism because it is it's just a made-up word. It's a made-up word in English. It doesn't mean what the original word meant in, in the New Testament. The word was a specific word that had a meaning for their context, which was to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. So one of the things, if you're relatively new, you may have heard me in, in even in offering the invitation, is I, I invite people to be immersed, to come be immersed, or I talk about immersion, right? I, I don't like transliterations. I think that they defeat the point of translating the text of the Bible. So if you've heard me talk about immersion, you've heard me talk about being immersed, I'm talking about baptism, right? And we're going to talk about that this morning. This is one of the things that's going to come up as we talk about this in Hebrews chapter 6. But I just wanted to, to clarify that if you're new here and you're like, why does he keep talking about immersion? What is immersion? We're going to clarify some of that today, right? And I, I need to be careful about not getting into the ruts of communication, uh, of not clarifying things for people on a periodic basis. Uh, the things that I've said, you know, I said six or seven years ago that I assume, oh yeah, everybody knows that. But you don't, you don't know that because you haven't been here for six or seven years. And that's fine. That's on me. That's not on you, right? So when we talk about Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We come to the third term, right? Instruction about washings, which is an uncommon phrase in the New Testament. If you look, just do a smattering. We talked about this uh, always yesterday in our men's Bible study. Uh, one of the things that I really encourage people to do is have multiple translations in your Bible study, right? Don't just get stuck in a rut of just using the same translation all the time. Mix it up, vary it up, and especially as you're studying through, maybe you're studying through a book of the Bible in your personal study, read the text in the ESV, then read the text in the New American Standard. You're, you're going to get some of the things of nuance that you might miss. This is a classic example. The New American Standard, the ESV, the MEV, that's modern English version, they say instruction about washings. The NIV says instruction about cleansing rites. And then the New King James, the New, New Revised Standard, the New English Translation, they just say doctrine of baptisms. And there's a, a big difference culturally, a big difference in implication between instruction about washing and doctrines of baptism, because baptism is one of those loaded words in modern American Christianity. This is an unusual form of a familiar word, right? I don't, I don't do a lot of Greek, but here I think it's relevant. Baptismos, which is an act of immersion or dipping. Typically the variant in the New Testament is baptisma, which means immersion. And it's the difference in English between saying immersions and acts of immersion. And you're like, well, that's not very different. Yes, that's correct. It's not very different, which is why it's weird 
in many of the translations of the New Testament that they will translate or transliterate baptism. But then in this one spot, it's a different thing. In this one spot, it's washings. This is, of course, connected to the verb baptizo, which is to dip, to plunge, or immerse. And of course, we know what the more common word is here, right? Baptism. And it is interesting. Majority of translations, again, New American Standard, ESV, uh, NIV, the majority of translations recognize, at least in this text, Hebrews chapter 6, that we should translate the word rather than transliterate the word, that we should just give the meaning of the word, here, washings. And in a list of most basic principles of Christianity, it's kind of weird, right? In our culture, the way we think about Christianity, it's unusual that this would be washings in a list of basic elementary principles of Christianity, because in the rest of the New Testament, that's not the way the word is translated. All of these things in the New Testament, repentance, faith, the resurrection, judgment, you can find them over and over and over and over in the New Testament. They're talked about all the time. Why? Because they're the elementary doctrine of Christ, right? And yet we come to this one, this one in the list, and if you only use the English standard, you only use the New American standard, this would be unusual. The instruction of washings is not used in that way, that phrasing, in the rest of the New Testament. It seems weird to be an elementary doctrine of Christ if that particular word is not used in the rest of the New Testament, but of course it is. And this is my point about translations. This is, I think, more accurately translated, if we're going to be consistent, instruction of baptisms. That would be consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Of course, again, I'd rather be done with the word baptism and just say instruction of immersions, but we're not going to get there, so we've got to live with what we have. The, th the main point of this lesson is going to be focused on the plural. Instruction about washings. Instruction about baptisms. Why the plural? What's the deal with the plural? Are there multiple washings, multiple baptisms? Is there multiple versions of that? And what we find in the New Testament is, yes, there are multiple versions. So we're going to talk about those. The first one. The washings, quote-unquote, in the Old Testament and the traditions of Israel. Now, this is two separate things, but it's, it, in the New Testament way of thinking, it's, they're going to be lumped together. The way the Old Testament talks about these things and the way that these things were built up in the traditions of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whoever. Hebrews 9, 6 through 10, talking about the Old Testament things. The preparations having thus been made, the priests go into the first section, that's of the tabernacle or the temple. They perform their ritual duties. He goes on, we're not going to read all of this, but talking about the different things in the Old Testament. Uh, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet opened. That is, only the priest could go into the holy place. Not everybody could go in, and if anybody else went in, they'd just be struck dead. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Here's the same word, baptismos. The exact same word that occurs in Hebrews chapter 6. Various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. In the Old Testament, you're washing, you got various different kinds of washing and different ritual washings and things of purification, purification rites for various implements in the Old Testament and the temple uh, implements and different things in the, the different uh, uh, things that the priests would use. And of course, the priests themselves, that was the old thing, right? And that was twisted in Mark chapter 7. We see this twisted and built up in the traditions of the elders, the way that people, especially in the intertestamental period, 
started interpreting and reinterpreting things in the Old Testament. The Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and vessels and dining couches. And we're not going to keep reading that. This is the same word. Hebrews 6 verse 1, instruction about washings. The washings, these various washings, is the same word here. Of course, Jesus' point, the, the Pharisees ask, why do you do this? And what's Jesus' point? He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. All of these things that they built up in their tradition, the different purification rites, the different cleansing rites, that was not the point. The point was to have your heart be given to God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they built up all these extra things about purification rites without actually loving God. Peter contrasts this in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And when she went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, and we're going to have an analogy to Noah here, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. Those things that they can't, we don't eat unless we wash our hands. We've got to cleanse all the cups and the, and the pans and all these things have to be washed the right way. Peter says, that's not what we're thinking about now. Baptism doesn't save you as a means of physical cleanliness, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is the right hand of God. So the first, if we're thinking about instruction about baptisms, instruction about washings, instructions about dipping things into water, most basically. The first was the Old Testament, the way they were thinking about these things in the Old Testament, and then, of course, the traditions of the elders. The second, of course, John comes, and he teaches an act of immersion, taught by John the Baptist. This was something, of course, that was taught in the beginning of the Gospels, but it persisted after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as certain people had not heard about a different kind of baptism. They only knew what John taught. Acts 18, 24. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though, not everything, he knew only the baptism of John. As opposed to what? The baptism of Jesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He had a misunderstanding. He was teaching John's baptism, John's immersion, not Jesus. Now, what's interesting? Aquila and Priscilla take him aside. They explain it. Somehow, the correction of teaching from a Priscilla and Aquila did not get to the church, did not get to the people in Ephesus. Because later, Paul comes to Ephesus. Later on, Apollos leaves. Paul comes to Ephesus. As it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. This is where Apollos was teaching the immersion of John. And even though Aquila and Priscilla corrected him, somehow that didn't get conveyed to the church. There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you immersed? 
were you baptized? They said into John's immersion. And Paul said, John immersed with the immersion of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Two different kinds of immersion here, right? We have immersion that John taught of repentance. We have the immersion of Jesus in his name that is in some way connected to the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? And, and John, or Paul's question here implies very heavily what? Immersion was to receive the Holy Spirit. Because in Paul's mind, why would you even be immersed if you don't know about the Holy Spirit? If you've not even heard of the Holy Spirit, why do that? Because they had misunderstanding about John's immersion, right? The third immersion here. Immersion, now I want to be clear. There's a couple of different ways this is used prepositionally. The prepositions are important. Immersion in the Holy Spirit, immersion for the Holy Spirit, immersion with the Holy Spirit. This particular phrase occurs only a couple of times in the New Testament. Acts 1, 4 through 5. While standing with them, he ordered them, this is of course the apostles in the, the very beginning, to, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard, will be, uh, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And of course, we know what happens, right? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon them, the flames of uh, the tongues of fire on their shoulders, and they begin to speak in tongues, and there's this great miraculous thing. That happens again later, Acts 11, verse 15. Uh, Peter is recalling this to the, the gathered assembly. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, the Gentiles, the house of Cornelius, just as us as the, at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John immersed with water, but you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If we go back to the original story, we get a little more clarification. Acts 10, verse 44. This is while he's at their house, right? At Cornelius' house. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And you think, okay, they've been immersed. Hooray for them. Which makes what Peter says next so interesting. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for immersing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And you might immediately say, why would they need to be immersed in water? They were just immersed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he said back in Acts 11, right? He commanded them to be immersed in the name of Jesus. And then they asked him to remain some days. And of course he does, and then he goes back. Three different kinds of immersion we've seen. The immersion of the Old Testament. Various ritual washings, ritual cleansings, not just of people, but of stuff and things. The immersion taught by John the Baptist. The immersion of repentance. That was not connected to the Holy Spirit in any way. And then the immersion with the Holy Spirit. This very special act that only happened twice. The Spirit descended. He immersed, not with water, but immersed with the Holy Spirit himself. The apostles on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But in each of these cases there is a contrast made between a specific kind of washing, if we're using Hebrew 6, and the most common, universal, and what I would say most elementary kind of washing, kind of immersion. And in each of these cases, we see the contrast between the specific thing 
and the universal thing, the, the, the elementary thing. Contrasted with the ritual washings of the Old Testament, we read in 1 Peter 3, baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not just about physically cleansing things, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. There's a necessity of a mindset that when we're immersed into Christ, it's not just about getting clean. It's about appealing to God for a good conscience. We understand God's promises. We understand God's will. We understand what God demands of us. And we are appealing, God, please cleanse me. Not physically, but spiritually. Contrasted with the immersion taught by John in Acts 19. Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after. On hearing this, they were immersed in the name of Jesus. What was the point in Acts 19? To receive the Holy Spirit. The immersion taught by John, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit in that. That was not the right thing. And again, what are we seeing? That there's an important understanding of knowledge. You have to have the right knowledge to be immersed in the way that Jesus wants. It's not just about being immersed for any reason, but the right reason. Contrasted with baptism with the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit descended upon the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, Peter still expected them to be immersed in water. Acts 10, 46, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for immersing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. Each case, there's a contrast between the specific thing that's happening and the more general thing that is meant to apply to all Christians in perpetuity, henceforth and forevermore, which is in Acts chapter 10, we see in water. Not just this special pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which was great and awesome, and, and it was wonderful that it happened, but that was insufficient for them to be immersed in this elementary, universal way. So when we think about the elementary baptism, the thing that is the foundational part of Christianity, that's what Hebrews 6 is talking about, right? The foundational thing in Christianity. Number one, it's an immersion in water. We see that in Acts chapter 10. Who can withhold water for the Gentiles? Acts chapter 8, verse 36. They were going along the road. They came to the, some water and the eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being immersed? Very obvious. That immersion in this foundational way in Christianity was meant to be done in water. It's done in the name of Jesus. We've seen that over and over again, right? Paul rebaptizes in Acts 19 in the name of Jesus. Peter makes the Gentiles be baptized in Acts chapter 10 in the name of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, it unites us. The most basic elementary universal immersion into Christ unites us with the power of his death and resurrection. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of you who have been immersed into Christ were immersed into his death? And yes, I'm going to keep using the word immersed because baptism, again, is not a translation. The word means to be immersed in water. All of us who are immersed into Christ, who are immersed into his death, we were buried. And we see the idea of baptism, the idea of immersion in the word buried. We were buried with him by immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You can't just be immersed for any reason. You have to have the right understanding. That's what we see in Ephesus. That's what we see in Peter's point. It's not just doing it for any reason, doing it for the right reason. Having the right understanding. We've read previously and looked at sermons previously in this series about repentance, about the desire to change, the admitting that we're wrong, the admitting that we need help. And, and we, of course, need to make the point that we're, we're not thinking about this as 
an act of earning salvation. Immersion into water doesn't save you any more than confessing saves you, any more than repenting saves you. God's grace is what saves you. He has given us the opportunity for salvation by his grace. But as the purveyor of that grace, he has stipulated some conditions. One of the conditions is faith. We talked about faith several weeks ago. One of the conditions is repentance. We talked about repentance last week. Another one of those conditions for his grace and salvation is immersion. To be immersed in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And what does Peter say in Acts chapter 2? So that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll end with Colossians 2, 8 through 15. See to it. And, and as we read this, thinking about in their context, but also in our context, how universal the application of Scripture is. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In their context, that might have been what? Well, maybe he's thinking about the old law, the traditions of the elders. They're being taken captive by the old way of thinking about baptism, right? The, the ritual cleansings of the Old Testament. For us, we would be thinking about there's a many different human traditions regarding immersion. Different ways that people do it. Different ways that people teach it need to be done. Different reasons that people teach that it should be done. But the warning is the same for us, right? The warning for them, don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. That warning is just as applicable to us. To not be taken captive by these essentially false ideas, right? In our context we're thinking about today, that's false teaching about immersion, what it means, what it should be. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Again, the contrast between the Old Testament idea, very physical, tactile thing, versus the spiritual idea of the New Testament. By the putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. What's most interesting to me, not most, very interesting to me, this is the same word that appears in Hebrews 6. We've read, you didn't know it because I didn't put it in there, the word only appears four times in the entire Bible. This variation of baptism, baptismos. Hebrews chapter 6 is one of them. The one in Hebrews 9 talking about the washings of the things in the old law. In, math, in Mark chapter 7, talking about their, their washing of the cups and pots. And then this one. These are the only four times this particular variant is used. The other three times, most of the versions of the Bible translate it as washing or, or cleansing. But here they go back to baptism. Because here the context is very clearly talking about that thing that unites us with Christ. And if we put washing or immersion here then we have to put it every other place, right? We have to put that every other place where the, the New Testament talks about being connected with Christ. We are connected to Christ. We are circumcised by Christ when we decide to be immersed in the name of Jesus. The putting off of the body of flesh, in which, in what? In baptism you were raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You who are dead in your trespasses. We talked about last week, dead works, right? 
The uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As we offer the invitation, it's quite simple, really. Have you been immersed in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And maybe you've been immersed, but you didn't do it for the right reasons. You didn't do it for the correct motivation. You didn't have the right understanding. Rebaptism is a biblical idea, isn't it? Acts 19, you were, they were immersed, not into the Holy Spirit. So he rebaptizes them. Acts chapter 11, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural gift. Peter still expected them to be immersed into water. So we ask the question, right? If you believe, you have faith. You're willing to repent, to change your mind, to, to do what God wants. You're willing to confess. We, we haven't talked about confession. We will in another lesson. If you're willing to do those things, you know what God wants. Hopefully you'll say what the eunuch said. See, here is water. What prevents me from being immersed? The answer is only you. 